0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from john chapter 1 verses 1 through 10 and you can find that on your in your pew bibles on page 938 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him.
1: Hello, Mount Juliet. You know, it may be cloudy out there, but every Sunday morning that I've been to Mount Juliet Church of Christ, it's been sun shining on the inside. Now, this is a great place to be on Sunday morning, and I'm glad to be able to be here with you. There's a, some neat things happening tonight and the next couple of weeks I hope you'll be thinking about becoming a part of. Uh, tonight's services is actually going to be a combined service with our new Spanish congregation that we have that meets right here in this building the same time we do on Sunday night. And so that's going to be exciting. And then after services tonight, we're going to have a celebration honoring the service of, of Ms. Carol Hackney that, that she's given to this congregation for so many years. Next week is Missions Emphasis Sunday with the theme, A Church on a Mission. And we'll have uh, Missions Resource Network here with us on Sunday morning, bringing us the message and Bible class. And uh, then next Sunday night, you're going to get to see all the different foreign mission works that we're a part of here at Mount Juliet. And each one of the the key people uh, who work with those works are going to get up and, and you'll get to see their face as well and make that connection. And then the week after that is Bible Class Emphasis Sunday. And we need to be thinking about, you need to be thinking about who you're going to invite to come to your Bible class and, and where, what you're going to do with them for lunch that day and things like that, because this is a big time for us, and I hope you'll be thinking about these upcoming events. We're going to talk about uh, the darkness a little bit, just for a moment, just to give you something to hang on as we uh, study these passages today. How many of you have ever been to Cumberland Caverns? Just show of hands, Cumberland Caverns. Okay, got about 10. Cumberland Caverns is the biggest cave network in Tennessee. It's got a, over 60 miles of explored cave networking, you know, tunnels and things that, that were created naturally. It doesn't necessarily have the biggest cavern in Tennessee, and I don't even know if it's the most famous, but it's the largest one. And Cumberland Caverns was my first uh, caving experience. It was, it was the first place I'd ever gone into a cave. I remember it was the fall of 1999. And I had a tall, lanky friend named Chris Hughes from Freed hardeman University where I was attending. And he had gotten a group of, of college students together to go and, and actually do an overnight trip in Cumberland Caverns. And, you know, I was excited about that. And we got to the caverns and we got unloaded and we all had our overnight gear and, and we walked inside the opening that you see on the screen up there. It's a huge opening. I mean, pickup trucks can go through this thing. We walked down that entrance into the cave, the main entrance, and we, we laid down our sleeping bags and mattress pads and toothbrushes. And then we left that entrance and we hiked a mile and a half around Cardwell Mountain to the original, the first entrance that was ever discovered to this cave. And and the group of us, I remember it was snowing, it was snowing that that night, and the sun was just about to set as we started climbing down into this hole. About 20 or 30 of us, and, and we went inside, I don't know how far we went, maybe here to that wall. And... Our guide that was with us gathered us up in this little room, you know, inside the cave, this little cavern. And there was a ledge above us. And I remember he told us at that time uh, to turn out our lights. And he didn't turn out his. He had this this headlamp. And it, was, it looked real old-timey to me. It, it was actually an oil lamp, you know, where... Uh, you know, it had a little flame flickering up there and everything, and it looked really old-timey to me. Well, we all turned ours off, and he had this thing on, and he started telling us the story of Aaron Higginbotham. Okay, Aaron Higginbotham was a surveyor, and in 1810, 200 years ago this year, in 1810, he stumbled across the entrance to the cavern that we had just descended into. And, you know, this is the interesting thing is he, he hadn't gone very far. I mean, here to that wall, you think, that's not very far in a cave. But then our guide, as he was telling us about Aaron Higginbotham, he, he turned out his light. And for the first time in my life, I experienced complete and total darkness. Zero light was in that cave. You couldn't see anything, no matter how close it was to your eyes, no matter how shiny it was or or reflective, you couldn't see it in that room. And he told us about how Aaron Higginbotham had crawled into this cave. He was a surveyor, a little bit of exploration in his blood, you know, and he's coming in, looking at this place, and he had crawled to the ledge right above where we were all sitting, and his torch went out. Three days later, a search party found him. By the time they found him, he had been so distressed and wrought and with terror that his hair had turned completely white. And I thought to myself, what a way to die. Not knowing which way is up, which way is down, which way is left, which way is right. That had to be a really scary time. I never forgot that night in Cumberland Caverns. So I've never forgotten the story of Aaron Higginbotham. But what about you? Can you think of a time in your life when you were in complete darkness? I've lived long enough to know that that most of us, if we've gone through the teenage years, have gotten to a point where we were at extreme confusion. And then you add on top of that, uh, trying to make it in the working world, trying to to be married to somebody else, to, to raise a family, to deal with extended family. To deal with sickness and illness, these things are difficult to do. I bet you can think about a time where you were in darkness. Where you had found yourselves in the the dark well of human despair. Wondering, which way do I go? What do I do now? I don't know who to turn to or, or what to ask next. I don't know how to reach out for help. I don't know who to believe and I don't know what I can hold on to. And we think about these questions and they haunt us and those are really disturbing, hurting times in our lives. And then, just when we think that the end is about to come, when we're about to give up, we see off in the horizon a light. And it's just barely there. And you know, we've come to call this a light at the end of the tunnel. And when you see a light at the end of the tunnel and you've been in complete darkness, for the first time you get your bearings. And you think, hey... Now there's hope. Hey, there's something I can count on. It's not moving. I know it's there. I can't help but think that that must be what the disciples kind of felt like when they knew and heard about the Messiah coming. When they saw Jesus for the first time. When they heard John the Baptist preach about Him. And so now we'll look at the scripture that was read. John chapter 1 and verse 1. I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages of the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In this passage that was read, uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, you'll notice three titles that are given to this person we're talking about. Number one, it's the Word. And number two, God. And number three, the light. These three titles are given the Word, God, and light. And they're all one and the same. They're all synonymous. And I love the light illustration that goes on in John chapter 1. And I want you to, to think about this. Look what light is equal to. It's equal to life. This light that we're talking about, it's equal to life. It gives life. It brings life. It's synonymous with with life. And that ought to be important to us because we're trying to live life. It ought to be important to us. Notice notice where this light shines in verse 5. It doesn't just shine among other lights. It's not just like a really bright light you know, in a room full of other lights. Notice where it shines. It shines in the darkness. That's where this light goes. It's on a mission to be useful, to do what it was intended to do. The light shines in the darkness. And then notice the power that we're talking about in this light. What kind of power does it have? Well, this is the kind of light that darkness cannot overcome. You say, where does a light like that come from? What creates light like that? I'm going to read a familiar passage to you from Revelation 21, verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Now listen to these next couple of verses. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. That's the kind of light we're talking about. We're talking about a light that's more powerful than the sun, that's more beautiful than the moon. We're talking about a light that comes directly from the Lamb of God. A light that's intended for all the nations to be in. A light that's intended for them to get their glory in. What a wonderful light we're talking about. And then realize the significance of what's happening in this story. Look at verses 9 and 10. The true light, which enlightens everyone, is coming into this world. Just chew on that for a second. That light that made the world is now coming to the world that he made. Now, if we were reading a fairy tale, if we were reading a a novel, this light might come down to the earth and it might be some orb or something floating around and everybody knows what it is and who it is and where it came from and why it's there. This light didn't do that. It came in a different way. I want you to look at John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's big. That is really big. And Jesus didn't come down in all His glory and and, and everything and, and come down and say, Here I am, I'm the light of the world. And he didn't just just in a supernatural way shine out to everybody. He came down and he put on skin and bones and flesh and he walked around right next to us. So, what does that look like, you might ask? What does it look like when the light of the world, the Word, becomes flesh? We're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. That'll be our next major passage for, for this morning. Philippians chapter 2. This is what it looks like. I have written right here in my notes. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Thank you, Trey, for leading that song. I didn't know you were going to do it, so I'm, I'm glad you did. Light of the world. That light came out of heaven and came down here. Now let's look at this passage just for a minute. Verse 5 and following. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now it's going to describe the mind of Christ Jesus. Verse 6. Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And then it's going to say what he did. Verse 7. But made himself nothing Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you imagine being the Lion of the tribe of Judah, being the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings? having perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Can you imagine what that must have been like? For Him to give that up? And come down here and put on skin and bones? Verse 7 says, But He made Himself nothing. In the original language there in the Greek, it literally means He emptied Himself in every way. He emptied Himself in every way. All of the glory that he had, he gave up. And he came down and became a human. And we think, oh, he's a human. Well, you can be a human and, and still kind of have some, some of this light stuff going on. I mean, he could have came down and, and just said, hey, I'm king and I'm here. And looked and walked and talked in the flesh. He could have came down and said, hey, uh, you serve me and bow down to me and I'll make, you, I'll make everything good for you and your kingdom. But he didn't. Notice what it says in verse 7. Taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. He humbled himself. Even lower than most of us would have lowered ourselves. And then I like in verse 8 it says he was obedient. And I think about my life and I think about obedience. Yeah. Jesus did that even better than me. And he was obedient even to the point of death. Jesus became one of us. He came down to this dark planet, this dark place. It's not dark because he made it that way. It's dark because we made it that way. He came down here so that he could get us out of the dark pits that we were in. He became like one of us and he showed us the way out. When he had to live counterculturally in order to be light of the world, he did it at the cost of sacrifice. And in that sacrifice, we can truly see that he really is the light of the world. After the time of crucifixion, he showed us what it was like to live again, resurrected and whole. And here's here's where we're going with this. Brothers, for those of us who wear the name Christ, for those of us who sing the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine, we've got a big job ahead of us. We can learn a lesson from Jesus right here in this passage about what it means to be light to the world, what it means to wear the name Christ. It means that sometimes we give up comfort. We give up what feels natural. Think about what He gave up to save us. We, we, we give up good things, easy things, nice things. We give up position and status in order to go into dark, dirty, sinful places and live counterculturally, crucifying the flesh, shining our light and displaying what a resurrected whole life looks like. In the same breath that he's saying all these things, he mentions that we are lights. Look at verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We shine as lights. That's what we're expected to do. And Jesus has shown us how to do that. What does that mean? We have to become flesh. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, is a real good theory. It's a real fun song to sing. It's a real good thing to think and and just hey, I'm a little light and I'm going to let it shine everywhere I go. It's another thing to make that light become flesh and do what Jesus did. To go down into the place where people are hopeless and confused and hurting and disoriented and they don't know which way is which and to grab them and pull them out. Light really finds its significance in darkness. That's where light truly shines. You remember the story about us being in that cavern and we turned out all the lights and we were in complete darkness? And you remember... I told you about his headlamp. It was like an oil lamp. You know how you light that? With a match. So here we are in this cavern, big enough to fit 20 or 30 people, and he pulls out a match and strikes it. And that one little match lit up the whole room. Everybody's face, all the walls above, below, and around us. Light finds its significance when it is in darkness. And you say, Nick, I, I know what you're saying. I know where you're going with this. But getting involved in the lives of hurting or lost people, whether they're on another continent or in the house next door, that's never clean and that's never easy. And you're right. Because in order for us to go into darkness, we've got to face fear. Hey, I was scared of the dark. Still am sometimes. Because in darkness, there's that element of the unknown. You don't know what's there. We've got to face that. And then there's the other thing when we're going down into ugly dark pits to get people out. Hey, it's a gross feeling. You've got mud all getting up in between your fingers as you climb down in and struggle to get out. You can feel it caked in wetness on your clothes. It's not a good feeling. There's that musty, earthy smell that fills our senses. And you know you're in a place that's not natural for you to be. You know what? You might get covered in some things you don't want to get covered in. You might look unpresentable to those around you, especially those who were once in that pit but have been pulled out for a long time and forgotten what it was like to be there. But you know... Maybe the most uncomfortable thing about going down into the, into the dark wells of human despair is that you have to trust whoever is holding the rope. You've got to know that the rope is solid, and no matter what kind of predicament you find yourself in, that rope's going to be there. It's going to hold. It won't slip. It won't be dropped. It won't be laid down on the ground and neglected for a while but we've got to do that job. Because when we wear the name Christ, we're doing what He did. William Carey's been called the father of missions. He went to India in 1793. And he called all those who were involved in his support base, he called them rope holders. He said, I'm going to take the light down to this dark place. Will you hold my rope? And all those who prayed for him, he called rope holders. And he would go home on these trips to England and he would travel around recruiting to get, try to get people to go to India to do mission work. And he would travel all over Europe and he would raise funds as well. And all those people who gave him opportunity, who helped him along the way, who provided him with materials or funds or just were his friends, he called those people his rope holders. And he challenged them. As he spoke in a lot of different places, he challenged them to make a commitment. And this is the commitment that he asked them to make. He said, as Christians, it's our responsibility to save people. To bring them light. And help them find their way out of the darkness in Jesus Christ. I commit myself either to go down into the dark well of human despair, or to hold the rope for those who do. Richard Rogers preached this in 1999, September of 1999, at the World Mission Forum. And he challenged the audience there in the closing sermon to make this commitment. To either be on the end of the rope or to hold the rope for someone who will go down into that place. Now, We're at the point in the lesson, we're going to bring this a little closer to home. Paul, formerly called Saul, was on the road to Damascus. And Jesus stopped him and said, hey, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Lord, I didn't know I was. And Jesus goes on and he commissions him. And Paul tells that story to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. He commissions him. He says, Saul, I've delivered you from your people and from the Gentiles. Now listen to this. To whom I am sending you. That's 26, verse 17 of Acts. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to the power of God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And when we preach sermons, sometimes they're knowledge based, and we want you to to have a certain thing, be equipped with, uh, to know, have in your arsenal, something like that. But sometimes when we get up here and we preach sermons, we really want there to be an action, a point of change, a decision made. Then when you walk away this Sunday, something is different. You're committed, you've made a, a new decision. And the way I see it, there's possibly three decisions before us as an audience this morning that we can make. The first is this. Hey, If you're in that hole of human despair, if you're surrounded by hurt and darkness and you don't know which way to go, don't know how to get out, if you've never been pulled out by the blood of Jesus, grab hold of the rope this morning. That's decision number one. If you haven't ever done that, grab hold of that rope, die to the old way of living through the waters of baptism, and be raised up to have a new life. Decision number one grab the rope. Number two, the second decision you might can make is to go down into the well, the dark well of human despair. What about it? You don't have to go to Brazil. You don't have to go to, to El Salvador. You don't have to go to, uh, to Europe or Africa or Asia. You can, but you don't have to. There's people on your street and in your life that are in those places. So that's decision number two. You can commit to going down on the end of the rope. You know, Jesus didn't get us out of there just so we can walk around happy and think oh, everything's hunky-dory. That's not why Jesus saved us. Jesus, when he pulled us out of that pit, he showed us how to do that. And he's not walking around here anymore. He's given that job to us. It's our time to go into those places. We are the light now. We are the ones who have to be incarnated and crucified and resurrected Church, we're the ones who, unlike Pilate, we've got to get our hands dirty. And then the third decision that you could possibly make this morning is to hold the rope for those who are willing to go down into those places. And not just to hold on to that rope when it's easy, and when there are lots of other people holding, and when everybody's having a good time and getting to know each other, and when the weather feels good and it's nice outside and you've had plenty of food in your stomach, we need people that are committed to hold the rope when things get hairy, when it's not going good, when your muscles ache and you wonder, hey, is there anybody else holding on to this? William Carey, when he went to, to India in 1793, guess when his first convert was? 1800, seven years later, before he had his first Hindu convert in India. Hold the rope. Hold the rope for those when things are hard. When you wonder if anyone else is holding. When the rain's coming down and you don't know when it's going to stop. When you wonder what's going on down, what the problem is down in the well. Don't let go of that rope. So those are the three decisions I think we could make this morning. Number one, either take hold of the rope of Jesus. Number two, go back down into the well ourselves and bring light on the end of the rope. Or hold the rope for someone else to go. I hope that you can commit to one of these. And if you want to make your decision known to the brethren here in this room this morning, then please come down and, and uh, let it be known here at the front while we sing.